happy Friday. Today I am going to read to you a passage from my favorite book of all time. It is called Belonging by Toko Pa Turner. To this world you belong. To this moment, in this place where you already stand, something greater has ushered you. To the momentum of a long line of survivors, you are bound. From their good deaths, succeeded by new lives, and to the incidents of love that seeded them, your story has been woven. With the wild jubilation of nature, you are in correspondence. By every season's conditions, and by the invisible holy inclination, your life has been hewn. And yet you may feel as many of us do, the ache of a life orphaned from belonging. There are many ways to be made an orphan, outright by the parent incapable of caring for you, or by the ones who neglected to understand your gifts, by the system which demands your loyalty but trades away your uniqueness, or by history which, through intolerance and war, has made you a refugee. But we are also made orphans by a culture that, in its epitomizing of certain values, rejects others, forcing us to split off from those unwanted parts of ourselves. And this is perhaps the worst orphaning act of all, because it is an abandonment in which we are complicit. With this meager scratch to begin it, without so much as the acknowledgement of all that we've been lost from, we must fare away. We must begin with absence, a longing for what might never be assuaged, and follow it deep into the heart of exile to discover what, if anything, can be made out of nothing, to make a foundling of the orphaned life. Though it governs so much, belonging is rarely spoken about in the open. Like grief, death, and inadequacy, We are led to believe that to feel unbelonging is shameful and should be hidden from view. The great irony is that modern culture is suffering an epidemic of alienation, yet so many of us feel alone in our unbelonging, as if everyone else was inside of the thing that we alone are outside of. And keeping silent about our experience of estrangement is, in large part, what allows it to perpetuate. We are living in fragmented times, with racism, sexism, xenophobia, and other systemic forms of othering on the rise all over the world. Never before have we experienced such seismic migrations of humans across our borders as we do today, and the challenges of settlement and integration are vast and complex, even several generations down the line. Today we find ourselves at a critical juncture divided on the fault lines of politics, class, gender, and race. In its silent way, belonging is the central conversation of our times. There are many different kinds of belonging. The first kind that comes to mind is the feeling of belonging in a community or to a geography. But for many of us, longing to belong begins in our own families. Then there is the longing we feel to belong with an intimate other in the sanctuary of relationship, and the belonging we yearn to feel in a purpose or vocation. There is also spiritual longing, 
to belong to a set of ways or traditions, the longing to know and participate in ancestral knowledge, and though we may not even notice how its severance influences us, the ache to belong in our own bodies. There are also subtler forms of belonging, like the one we must eventually create with our own story and the gifts that have been forged from it. And if we take a broader view, there is a belonging with the earth itself, which is felt or not felt at the heart of us all. Finally, there is the great belonging, which may be the most nebulous and persistent of all, the longing to belong to that something greater which gives our lives meaning. In Northeast India, high in the mountains of Meghalaya, the summer monsoons are so heavy that the rivers running through its valleys grow wild and unpredictable, making them impossible to cross. Centuries ago, the villagers came up with an artful solution. They planted a strangler fig on the river banks and began to coax its raveling roots across the river until they took hold on the opposite side. Through a slow process of binding and weaving the roots together, the villagers created a sturdy, living bridge that could withstand the deluge of the summer rains. But because it is a labor that cannot be completed in any one person's lifetime, the knowledge of how to bind and tend to the roots has to be transmitted to each of the younger generations who keep the practice alive, contributing to what is now a thrilling network of living root bridges throughout the valleys of Megalia. If we take the living bridge as a metaphor for the work of belonging, we can imagine ourselves being stranded on one side of a dangerous river, longing to be connected to something greater that lies beyond our reach. Whether it is the yearning to find our true place, our people, or a meaningful relationship, the longing to belong is the great silent motivator behind many of our other ambitions. In my years of working with dreams, I have found this longing to belong at the heart of so many people's inquiries. It is the longing to be recognized for one's gifts, to be welcomed in love and kinship, to feel a sense of purpose and necessity to our community. But it is also the longing to open to the sacred dimension of our lives, to feel in service to something noble, to live in magic and wonder. Yet alienation, belonging's dark sister, is so pervasive that we might call it epidemic. We are more technologically connected to one another than we've ever been, and yet never more lonely and estranged. We are the generations who have missed receiving the inheritance of knowledge that will bridge us back to belonging. But what's worse is that, in our amnesia, we often don't even know what's missing. More and more, our interactions with one another are being supplanted by machines. Whether it's through digital communication, customer service robots, or retail machines where humans used to be, we are becoming captives of the mechanical age. Designed by corporate interest, we are reduced to consumers, cogs in the very machine to which we are beholden. This larger, often hidden entity is a substantial part of what contributes to us feeling dehumanized, giving us the sense that we are expendable. We don't love the machine, and it doesn't love us back. We try to get on, contributing our small piece to the mechanical choreography of things, but there is a sense of purposelessness which plagues us. 
we unconsciously feel that there is something greater to which we long to belong. And although we may not be able to articulate what it is, we perceive others belonging to this greater something while we look in from the outside. We ache to have our absence from the circle of belonging noticed. It poisons us from the inside out. Though we try to stay busy, the hidden loneliness underneath is rarely assuaged. Given the first breath of silence, there is an upwelling of alienation so great that it threatens to swallow us whole. No matter how much we accumulate or accomplish, the pang of unbelonging continues to pierce from within. And so we treat our lives like a project for improvement, attempting to become useful, admired, impervious, or savvy. We work at cutting off any unwieldiness that may be preventing us from fitting in. But as this self-development encroaches upon our inner wilderness, our dreams, and our connection to the holy suffers, and as we harness every last resource in service to the unconscious longing to belong, we feel less and less at home. This is our starting place. Right in that raw fissure of our lostness, down in the ache to find our place in the family of things. Before we even ask ourselves how to heal our estrangement, we must first sink down into the wound itself and apprentice ourselves to it. We must enter into the question of what has been missing from us, of what are we being deprived. Only when we lower ourselves down into that holy longing can we get a glimpse of the majesty we are meant to become. Human beings have a natural urge to worship that something greater which coheres us. But we, in modernity, are living in a kind of spiritual cul-de-sac where our gifts only serve ourselves. Unlike the many shamanic cultures that practice dream work, ritual, and thanksgiving, Westerners have forgotten what indigenous people understand to be cardinal, that this world owes its life to the unseen. Every hunt and every harvest, every death and every birth is distinguished by beauty-making and ceremony for that which we cannot see, feeding back that which feeds us. I believe our alienation is the felt negligence of that reciprocity. Although every culture has its own mythologies, the animistic way of seeing the world is to know that spirit lives in everything. Not just the human people, but the people with four legs, the tall standing ones, the far-seeing feathered ones, the strong and silent cliff people, those sleeping mountain dreamers, and the always up for a conversation river people. Sometimes you can even catch spirit in the curve of a ceramic cup. While animistic cultures live in a reciprocity with what author and Mayan shaman Martin Prechtel calls the holy in nature, we have become a culture infatuated with literality and rationalism. Divorced from myth and the symbolic life, our personal stories cease to have meaning in a larger collective momentum. Also atrophying in this separation is our ability to imagine, wonder, and envision a way forward. But each of us has a private gateway back into kinship with mystery through our dreaming life. The practice of dream work is a powerful way of weaving back into intimate relationship with what the Sufis call the Beloved, that divine coherence, the holy in nature from which all beings originate. As we remember it, 
it remembers us. Like the living bridge between two riverbanks, our conversation is the practice of belonging together. The way that I understand it, dreaming is nature naturing through us. Just as a tree bears fruit, or a plant expresses itself in flowers, dreams are fruiting from us. The production of symbols and story is a biological necessity. Without dreams, we could not survive. And though it is possible to get by without remembering our dreams, a life guided and shaped by dreaming is a life that follows the innate knowing of the earth itself. As we learn to follow the instincts of our inner wilderness, respecting its agreements and disagreements, we are also developing our capacity for subtlety. This sensitivity is what makes us more porous and multilingual, bringing us into conversation with the many languages of the world around us. Sensitivity is the privilege and responsibility of remembering. As Oscar Wilde wrote, a dreamer is one who can only find his way by moonlight, and his punishment is that he sees the dawn before the rest of the world. As we come to understand the symmetry between the outer landscape and the inner wilderness, we can't help but grieve the ways in which our own nature has been tampered with, denigrated, broken into obedience, and in many cases, eradicated from memory. We begin to face the ways in which we are complicit in this slow apocalypse, within and without. Only from such a place of loss and longing can we begin remembering ourselves home. The practice of weaving a living bridge between the seen and the unseen, an endeavor that can only be made with patience, an aptitude for grief, and a willingness to assume a stake in the way things turn out, even if we don't live to see the benefits. This is the practice of belonging. Most of us think of belonging as a mythical place that if we keep diligently searching for, we might eventually find. But what if belonging isn't a place at all, but a skill? A set of competencies that we, in modern life, have lost or forgotten. Like the living bridge, these competencies are the ways in which we can coax, weave, and tend to the roots of our separation, and in so doing, restore our membership in belonging. Thank you for listening and spending this time with me. If this impacted you in some way, please share this episode, whether that's on social media or sending it to someone you thought about while listening. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or TikTok, and my handle for both of those is at Karina.Davy. If you'd like to connect more intimately, you can join me in the Higher Self Sanctuary, a virtual village where I lead weekly meditations, workshops, women's circles, community gatherings, and more, alongside my partner, the incredible master coach, Jacob Metzger. 
To check out the sanctuary, you can go to www.hireself.earth. It's also linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to work with me one-on-one, you can book a session at karinadavy.com. You'll also find information there about courses, in-person retreats, and other offerings. If you're enjoying this podcast, leave a review so that we can reach more of the people who are looking for this space. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a beautiful day.